from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness of this world and life. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Make every path straight. Turn away from all iniquity and return unto God. In our broadcast on the 5th of September, we looked at the colorations of the gospel that corrupts the gospel itself. One of such colorations we emphasized was the matter of healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. And although they help provide a platform for preaching the gospel, we noted specifically that they do not confer upon the recipients the uh, salvation of God that the gospel preaches. You can be healed and not be saved. But if you are saved, even if you are not healed, your eternity in heaven with God is guaranteed. We also noted that healings, miracles, signs, and wonders reveal the power of God to save from the stranglehold of sin and self, which are more lethal. If God can heal, that is, then he can certainly save if only we believe his word and put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin and self are much more lethal than healing. However, the same power that God uses to bring healing to a person is that same power, that same power, that ability is available for salvation for those who will believe the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation and receive his forgiveness. Now, after a healing or miracle, the whoever it is that has received such a healing or such a miracle still needs to seek the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation because healing or miracles by themselves do not confer on the recipient's salvation. I need to emphasize this over and over again. Furthermore, we noted that healings, miracles, signs, and wonders are sometimes just a manifestation of God's mercy and compassion. And like we said earlier on, they still do not confer salvation upon the recipient. Now, two words of caution that we gave, and I need to emphasize that, is that number one, there are manifestations, the, the, the manifestations of healings, miracles, signs, and wonders could turn people into idol worshipping. And now I think we I think we mentioned that uh, in um, I think that was in Acts chapter fourteen, where uh, Peter, Paul and Barnabas had uh, been ministering to a group of people, and one of them had been born lame, and um, Paul, seeing that that person had faith to be healed. Uh, encouraged him, motivated him, and the fellow got up and was healed. And when they saw this had happened, the people gathered around Paul and Barnabas and actually began to want to worship them. It took a lot for Paul and Barnabas to tell those people that, look, this is exactly what we said you should not do. So the point we're trying to make here is that when people have received healings, miracles, signs, and wonders, those people who are the delegated authority by God uh, to confer upon these people such healings, such uh, miraculous signs and wonders, must emphasize to the people that they are to seek God and not men. They are to seek God and not the church. They must seek the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation because it is he who has brought healing unto them. The second uh, uh, note of caution that we gave is the fact that there are lying wonders which are not from God. So you need to be careful with what you accept as a divine healing, a divine miracle, a divine sign, and a divine wonder. Now, because people who claim that miracle signs and wonders or healings equate, uh, sorry, beware of people who uh, equate miracle signs and wonders with salvation because they just don't equate. It just don't equate. I cannot sound, I cannot emphasize that uh, enough. We saw, I think, uh, the last time we, 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 we spoke, how Satan is given power to rot through, through a, 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 a proxy, to rot strange miracles to the point that a statue can speak. He can call fire from heaven. So the fact that you are seeing signs, miracles, and wonders does not mean that they are all from God. And anybody who is equating healings, miracles, signs, and wonders with salvation, 
beware is most likely that fellow is a false prophet. Now, in this broadcast, we shall be focusing on a very popular coloration of the gospel, which is really um, a corruption of the gospel because this coloration is, has nothing to do with the gospel in any shape or form. And we're talking here about the matter of money or what is commonly referred to as the prosperity gospel, which really is not the gospel. Now, let me categorically state that salvation can never be bought with money and as such cannot and should not be paid for. Let me read some scriptures to us. Psalm 49, Psalm 49, and I'm going to read verse 6 through to verse 10. Psalm 49 from verse 6 to verse 10. And um, it says, Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For the for he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. What he's saying essentially is that nobody can put money together to redeem the soul of his brother or of his neighbor. Nobody. Salvation can never be bought with money. It can never be paid for. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, these points need to be emphasized very strongly because so many people are being deceived with this so-called prosperity gospel and they make it sound like if you pay money, you will receive this from God. The gifts of God are free, more or less, because someone else paid for it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, and I read it, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What brings salvation is not gold, is not silver, is not ornaments, is not any germ whatsoever, it's not even crude oil. It is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through to 14, the point is further emphasized. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through to verse 14. It says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, nor with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What is this saying here? Even goats and bulls, the blood of goats and bulls, those animal sacrifices cannot redeem anybody. They cannot. Somebody once told me, how uh, he, he visited uh, a, a, a so-called uh, prophet who insisted that he should go and get a, a goat, that they will have to kill the goat and use the blood to do his, his redemption. And I'm speaking of a Christian, somebody who had been born again, but because he was facing certain challenges in life and he thought that God was not doing anything, he ran to this fellow who said he was a man of God. The Bible makes it clear. Money does not give you salvation. Uh, gold does not give you salvation. Silver does not give you salvation. Crude oil will not give you salvation. Contracts will not give you salvation. The blood of goats, cows, and animals will not give you salvation. Only the blood of Jesus, the price of salvation, is the precious blood of Jesus, which was shed at the cross at Calvary. It remains today a legal tender 
for anyone who accepts Christ's payment for his or her sin and the forgiveness of sin thereafter. So you have no business going to pay anybody money for salvation. You have no business going to give anybody money because you want something that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ offers. In Matthew chapter 7, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and verse 8, when the Lord Jesus sent uh, his disciples out to go and preach the gospel, he gave them a command. And part of the command I'm going to read, he, he said to them, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Anyone who demands payment for salvation is a false prophet. I say that categorically. Anyone, and I repeat it, anyone who makes a demand from you for any service pertaining to salvation is a false prophet. That does not mean that you cannot freely give to the person and he is at liberty to receive or not to receive, depending on how the Lord ministers to him. But he cannot make a demand from you. Anyone making that demand is a false prophet. Take it from me as gospel. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. Not just from me, I'm going to read scriptures to you. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. It says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many of them, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time that judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So there will be people like that and we know there are people like that in our generation, in our time. I, let's, let's quickly, in the same uh, uh, Second Peter chapter 2, go to verse 14 and 15. He's, he's speaking about these people, these false prophets. He talks to them as having eyes full of adultery. You see them ogling over, over, over women. In, 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 the, in the congregation, drawing close to them. He says, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They look for people that they can entice. By the grace of God, my prayer for you is that God will deliver you from such men. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have ways of doing things. You'll see them wake up. They just come to your church they come to maybe to minister or something. They say, look, there are 10 people there. God says he wants to make them millionaires. And then they, they say, but you must bring something for God to do that. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. I, we, need to, we need to make this, uh, we, need, we need to sound this clearly. That is not God by any yard of the imagination. It has nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel is to deal with sin. And these people are sinning, which means they, they don't have the gospel and, can, and are not even preaching the gospel. In verse 15, it says, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam was such a prophet. He, he was called to come and curse the people of Israel. And God told him not to go. Then they brought people who were worthier and increased the, 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 the price money they were going to pay him. And then he went to God again. And said to God, can I go? And God said, well, God seen his heart that he wanted to go. said, okay, go. But you will only say what it is that I tell you to do. He went and there was, a, there was even a, 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 his donkey spoke to him at a point in time. And he was responding to the donkey. He was so fixated on money, so fixated on what he was going to collect, that it never occurred to him that what he was doing was simply wrong. These men are like Bela. They have forsaken the way of righteousness. And they have made money their pursuit. That is all they preach. Just listen to them. All they do morning, afternoon, evening is to talk about money. And yet they will tell you that they are not, they are not in love with money. It is the love of money that is uh, evil. But they don't love money. It's just that they are preaching it for your own sake. It's a lie. It is for their own sake. 
Because the Bible makes it clear to us that it is Christ we are supposed to preach and him crucified. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible makes it clear about who is to be a bishop. And you will be shocked at what the Bible says a bishop should be. A bishop then, I'm reading verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says the bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not uh, violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Money does not feature, must not feature in the life of one who is to be called a bishop, who is to be ordained a bishop. It cannot be money. But we find today that even people who are being ordained are being told to contribute money for the person that is going to lay hands on them. If they want to do it from their hearts, that's okay. They should know that. But it is not to be demanded. This is where the problem is. In verse 8, the Bible says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. If you buy your ordination, you are going to demand money for it. But God does not charge money for ordination in any shape or form. It is, it is something God calls you to a serious service, a very, very serious service. It's not a joke. So it's not something you pay money for. This, this, is, the, this is the kind of spirit that is in the world. That when people find themselves in political office, they say, yes, we have arrived. It's time to eat. That is what happens in churches where people are being ordained and they believe that now it is their time. The gospel has nothing to do with money in the, in the way people speak about this, this prosperity gospel has nothing to do with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to read from verse 16 to 26, is the story of a young rich ruler who approached the Lord Jesus Christ and he wanted salvation. Let's, let's just read it. Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witnesses. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things... I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, you go, sorry, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to him, to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus uh, looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Here the Lord was addressing the problem that this young rich ruler had. What was keeping him from salvation was the possessions that he had. Indeed, not only did he have the possessions, the possessions actually had him. And so he couldn't go. The Lord told him, and you know, what is very interesting here is that the Lord did not tell him, bring the money into my ministry and then come and follow me. No, he said, go and give the money to the poor. Go out to the streets, distribute the money to the poor, then come and follow me. Many of us, we may look at this man and say, oh, his money had him, his possessions had him, and so on and so forth. But the reality is that there are many of us who cannot do even this simple thing. It is very easy if you're a minister of the gospel to have money and to put the money in your, in your ministry. But when you have to put all of that money elsewhere, in fact, if God were to tell you that the money you own, all the money you have, go and distribute it all over the, all, all over the country to poor people who will never know you. Don't introduce yourself, just distribute. When you are finished, return. And then I'll tell you what to do. Not many of us will be able to do it. That is a, that is a mark. 
that we are in love with money. So we see that the, the prosperity gospel that is being preached today has no place in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of money, the Lord Jesus was saying here, the love of money, the possessions that people have, is going to keep a great many people from the gospel. I'm telling you the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, from verse 5 to verse 10. Uh, it says, uh, okay, I'll just, it just it says, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. There are people who believe that the ministry is a means of wealth, is a way of making money. So they say to people that, look, if you come into ministry, you should be wealthy. You should be able to drive cars. You should even be able to own private jets. And we see a lot of that. Beloved, let me tell you, I am not against people owning vehicles, but some of those things have no place in scriptures. I mean, to be owned a fleet of vehicles, there is no basis for it. To be owning a private jet when you, you don't have a worldwide ministry, there is no basis for it. It's not, it's not necessary. In verse 6, the Bible says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. What the Bible teaches is contentment, not covetousness. What we find people preaching, which is the prosperity gospel, is covetousness. But the true gospel of God teaches contentment along with godliness. And that's what the Bible says here in verse 6. It says in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know, sometimes it beats me, especially for those in ministry who are involved in funerals and so on and so forth, to, who never remember that the funerals they went to attend, those people never left with anything be other than the shirt or the clothing that they put the, on them. In some cases, the people actually insisted that those are the clothing they should be put on, they should be, uh, uh, they should be worn. In some cases, people just put on them whatever they chose. But the large portion of their clothing, they, they, they never took it with them. It stayed behind. And yet, people don't take it to heart. They, when they die, they are going to live with nothing. And so all this acquisition is of no use. So why do you preach a gospel that seeks to get people to begin to go for acquisitions just because you also want to feed your covetous, uh, your, your greed and covetousness. Why do you do that? That has nothing, no place to do, no place for the gospel. The gospel, as a matter of fact, seeks to deliver men from covetousness. So why would the gospel that seeks to deliver men from covetousness now be encouraging covetousness and greed? It's not possible. In verse 8, it says, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. I mean, this is, this is what the Bible says. Clothes and, and, and uh, uh, food. We should be content with that. In verse 9 it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare or a trap and into many foolish and harmful lusts or desires which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have st um, strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The Bible does not teach that you should seek after money. As a matter of fact, what the Bible tells us is that you should be content with whatever it is that you have. I believe it is in um, uh, Philippians Chapter 4, I think it is, verse somewhere between verse, I think verse 12 or so, where Paul said, I have learned to be content. If I have if I have a lot, I'm okay. If I have little, I'm okay. In whatever state I find myself, I have learned to be content. You see, this gospel that tells us to keep seeking and keep asking for more and keep asking for more and keep asking for more is of Satan, is not of God. I, I repeat it. Is of Satan, is not of God. Quote me anywhere. Because God does not insist that you go and start asking for house, houses, ask for car, ask for this, ask for that. What God is asking you to do is to seek him and to seek his kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, from verse 24 to verse 34. Matthew chapter 6, from verse 24 to verse 34. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, 
and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For your information, mammon is a representation of money or the desire for money or covetousness. That inordinate desire for money. Money has a good part. But money by itself, when we begin to fall in love with it, it becomes a problem. Indeed, anything you love more than God can be, can be brought under the, the, the nomenclature of mammon. But it is speaking specifically about wealth, possessions, and so on and so forth. In verse 25 it says, Therefore, I say to you, not, uh, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your uh, body, what you will put on, on it, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into bands, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? They don't sow, they don't reap, but they are taken care of. Of course, you need to do some of those things if you have the ability, if you have the capacity. But if you don't, you don't need to. That is the simple truth. God does not ask you to do what you cannot do or what you don't have. He doesn't say, give to me what you don't have. He will only ask you to give to him what you have. And when he's asking you to give to him, he will tell you himself. In verse 27, he says, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither, um, toil, uh, to, uh, they neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Can you imagine the Lord saying that grasses are better arid than Solomon, who was known for his uh, splendor and opulence in his, in his time. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles or the unbelievers, the people who don't know God, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What is the Lord saying? He's even saying, don't, don't do any long-term planning. That's what the Lord is saying. Don't do any long-term planning. Stay with today. Seek first, first God, his kingdom, his righteousness, everything about God. Make God your pursuit, not money. That's what the Bible is saying. here. Be loyal to God, not money. Serve God, not money. The gospel of prosperity has no place in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has no place in that gospel. So when people come talking about money and so on and so forth, be careful. In fact, it should be a sign to you that something is wrong with that ministry or that minister, as the case may be. In Acts chapter 8, we read about a man who heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and followed Philip. In fact, he was baptized in water. And then when the apostles came to administer the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and he saw that as they laid hands on people, they received the Holy Ghost, the man offered money and said, please give me this power so that I also can lay hands on people and they can receive the Holy Ghost. Definitely. The man was looking at merchandising. He was willing to pay for it. And Peter said something to him. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to read that now. In verse 20, the Bible says, Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. I, I, I repeat myself. Anybody who is asking you to bring money for spiritual things, that person is a false prophet. He has a problem. And I'm going to show you what this problem is. In verse 21, 
Peter continues, says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. You don't have a part in the ministry. You have no part in the church. Such people have no part in the kingdom of God. They don't belong to the kingdom of God. They may carry the appellation of pastor or prophet or whatever, but they are not of the kingdom of God. God is not with them. Don't be afraid of them. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Their heart is not right with God. No matter what they tell you, God is not the one speaking to them. They are being led by their belly, by the greed that is in them. That is what is leading them. In verse 22, Peter says, Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. If you think you can buy spiritual gifts, there's a gall of bitterness in you. There's a problem within you. You are not saved. You have not received yet the salvation of God. You need to seek the forgiveness of God. One of the things the true gospel does, I said this before, is to, is to kill every sinfulness, every desire of self, every love for money, is to kill it. So if you find that you are still in love with money, then you need to go to God in prayer. Say, Lord, come and kill this inordinate desire in me before it destroys me. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, the Bible says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry because it's, it gets you to worship something other than God. That is money. It says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, if you continue in something that you should have left behind, the wrath of God is going to be upon you. Be careful. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 and verse 5. Ephesians 5, verse 3 and verse 5, it says, But fornication and all uncleanness and or covetousness, let it not even be named or mentioned among you as is fitting for sins. It is not fitting for somebody who says he's a Christian that he is covetous, just like fornication does not be, does not befit a Christian, or uncleanness. We're talking of things like masturbation, homosexuality, lesbianism. It should not be mentioned where Christians are. Covetousness is put in that category. In verse 5, it says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The gospel ultimately brings you to the kingdom of God. So if the Bible says a covetous man is not going to get into the kingdom of God, what is he saying there? He says money is not going to bring you into that kingdom. So don't let anybody fool you and begin to preach to you a gospel that is place, putting money on a place, on a pedestal that God has not approved for money to be placed. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ has nothing to do with money. In fact, when the Bible speaks about wealth or riches, more, more often than not, it is in reference to spiritual things. And when it speaks about physical wealth, it normally speaks, it speaks in terms of caution. It doesn't approve that we seek it or we make it a pursuit. It actually cautions us against pursuing wealth. So one might ask, does it mean that money should be thrown away? No. Because there are people, I mean, there are Christians who have money. But you are not to seek it. You are not to seek wealth. If it comes, fantastic. It, it has come. But you don't make it a pursuit. You don't make it, you don't, you don't seek after it. In 1 Peter chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 6, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. Listen, let's listen very carefully to what the Bible says concerning the issue of money. Command those who are rich in this present age, talking of people who have money, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, not to trust in their money. 
but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. It is not just the love of money that we are talking about here. It is the putting our trust in money. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm trying to say here. When we don't have money, we can pray to God to give us things. But once we have money, we don't, we don't even seek, desire to pray. We already have the money. We'll go ahead and, and, and spend whatever we want to spend. But the proper attitude is whether you have money or not, you seek the face of God on what you want to do. You ask God, Lord, should I invest in this? Should I spend this money on this thing? I remember a friend of mine telling me many years ago, he said, besides the tithe, which belongs to God, the 90% that you have is still God's property. If you are a Christian, that is, the 100% belongs to God. So it's not like you can spend the money anyhow. Seek his face. Ask him how you are to spend it. It's not yours to just throw away. There are things that God might desire, might require you to do, like give to this person, give to that person. That's what, and that is what he's saying here to those of you who have money. Don't think that it is yours. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant about it because you have money. Don't put your trust in it. The Bible calls it uncertain riches because money comes and money goes. I remember, I remember recently when people started preaching about money, preaching about money, and the money failed. And then suddenly the message is changed. May God help us. In verse, uh, then it says, of course, uh, on certain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. All things to enjoy. The money he gave to you, yes, is to enjoy. But it doesn't mean that it's 100% enjoyment. God has a reason why he put the money in your hands. Sometimes it is also to enable you to disperse it. You are, you are like his, his accountant. The accountant of a company does not own the company money. But the money is put in the hands of the accountant to distribute as the need, uh, 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 as the need arises and as requisitions are made. But the accountant cannot take the company money and go away and say it is money. So those who are rich are like God's treasurers holding the money of God. So they need to know from God who and, and how to spend the money. Look at verse, verse 18. It says, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. That is the reason why you have the money. You should be ready to give, ready, willing to share. And when I say ready to give, willing to share, I'm not saying go and give to pastors. No! I'm not saying don't give to pastors either. But I'm saying your primary focus should be on the needy. How is it that somebody who says he's rich can be comfortable to give to a pastor a 10 million naira car, but the brothers who sit next to him, for whom maybe 250,000, half a million, would have set up in some business, he doesn't, he doesn't want to give him. Why? Because he's under the erroneous belief that by giving the pastor, one, he will multiply his income or his, his, his net worth, and secondly, his eternity is certain. Don't be fooled. That is a lie. God is more interested in you doing good to your fellow men than to the pastor who already probably has more. But you know, we, we like to give to pastors because we, we, we want the blessing. We, we, we like to carry it ourselves to the pastor and, tell the, and the pastor will say, yes, now, Nilda, let me lay hands on you. Let me pray for you. It, does, it's not, it doesn't come that way. I'm telling you the truth. You better believe it. It doesn't come that way. And I know that some pastors who have set up boxes in front of their offices, before you see the man of God, you put a prophet's offering. That is criminal. I, I repeat it, it is criminal. It is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a crime. In verse 19, it says, storing up for themselves a good foundation, a platform, a basis for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. The Bible is saying, use whatever gifting God has given you. If it is money God has given you as a gifting, use it as a platform for your eternity. When you get to heaven, you will be rewarded. But it doesn't bring you salvation. If you are born again, fantastic. Now you have money. That money does not maintain your salvation. With that money, you are supposed to do good works. And you are rewarded for the good works where the intention, the motivation, the motive is right before God. But where the, the purpose the intention for your giving has nothing to do with God, you are going to run into trouble. I think it is in Galatians chapter 6, where the Bible says that those who sow to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, that is death. So even though you are sowing, the question is, what is the basis? Are you sowing to the flesh, that is to, to, to please yourself? 
or are you sowing because God says sow into this? There are people who will not give to the missions to missions work, but they will quickly run to a pastor and, and, and bless the pastor. I am not saying you shouldn't bless pastor, but I am saying to you that your 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 your, your distribution should be within reason. Use money to do good works. That's why God gave it to you. In Proverbs chapter 19, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, we are looking at the, the, the purpose or the place of money within the gospel message. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Proverbs 19, verse 17. The Bible says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he, that is God, will, will pay back what he has given. God is saying, when you give to the poor, what you are actually doing is that you are borrowing, you are, you are lending money to God. And God always pays back. So the focus should be on giving to the poor, not giving to the rich. In fact, there's a, there's a, there's a problem that says that the man who is giving to the rich, is a, is, there's a curse upon him. The Lord Jesus Christ insisted, said, when you are going to give, give to people who can never repay you. That way it is God who is going to repay you. In Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. The Bible here tells us to look for opportunities to be a blessing to members of the household of faith. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But the, the Bible expects us to give even to unbelievers. To be a blessing. You see, if these things were inculcated in us, we shouldn't have problems with Christians in politics because there would be there would be more people oriented in what they are. But we don't have it. So when these same Christians get into politics, they are worse than the unbelievers in politics. In Psalm 41, verse 1 to 3. Psalm 41, verse 1 to 3. The Bible tells us of the reward, even here on the earth, for people who remember the poor, who remember the needy. Psalm 41 verse 1 to 3 says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sick bed. He didn't say God will stop you from being sick. But when you are sick, God will take care of you. He, when you, if you. Or your enemies will not be able to touch you. Because God has seen that you are showing kindness to the poor. There's, there's the story of a, a, a woman called, I think, Dorcas in the, in the book of Acts. Who died. And when Peter was called to come and pray for her to return to the earth. The, the widows who were there, they began to show what Dorcas had done. The, the, the things that Dorcas had, 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 had given to them. She was somebody who had good deeds. And God brought her back, I believe, to continue with that. And there was great joy amongst the widows because they had felt that all was lost. This was the one person that was taking care of them. And now that person had passed on. But God used Peter to bring that woman back. Beloved, the gospel is the message of God. And it seeks to bring men out of sin's grasp into the loving arms of God. The price of salvation has already been paid. I repeat, the price of salvation has already been paid. You have no need to pay anything, anything. The only thing you need is believe the message that your sins are forgiven you because Jesus Christ has paid the price. Believe it, receive it, accept that message. Receive the free gift of God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Make the confession with your lips and you shall receive it. It's as simple as that. That is why it is people more, more often than not who have nothing who are able to receive the gospel. The people who have think that they need those things to get the gospel. And let me, let, let me read the story of Naaman, a, a Syrian general who went to Israel for, for uh, 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 the, 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 the healing of his um, leprosy. He was a leprous general. And he went to Israel for the healing of his leprosy. Let me read from verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 5 from verse 9. Then Naaman went in, went with his horses and chariot. And he stood in the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, 
Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. And not the Abana and the Papa and the, and the Fapa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. I mean, he was such a, was such a powerful man. The prophet did not even come near him. The prophet sent a messenger to him. The prophet didn't even see him. Of course, he was, he was rot. Like, what kind of nonsense is this? And then to make matters worse, he tells him to go to, to go and uh, bathe in the Jordan where all the waters empty into. He said, what, what's wrong with this fellow? There are better rivers in uh, upland in Syria where I'm from. I could have swum in those, in those waters. Of course, he was enraged. He was angry. He was a man of means. He was a man of power. So he, he, felt, he felt being belittled by the prophet not coming out. And that has been the problem of many because we, we, we think that our wealth should be respected when it comes to salvation. Let me tell you the truth. Whether you have wealth or not, a leper is a leper. That's a simple thing. You are leprous, you are leprous. Your wealth may permit you to stay in your home, but you are still a leper. Even in your home, people cannot come near you. You have to put on stockings and other things. I've seen people in, in, in this part of in, in, in some parts of this country where the, 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 the people who are lepers in their families, they send them out on, onto the streets. They go there and give them food, but they don't live in their home so that they are not they, are, they, they, they don't become they don't they don't be, they, they, they don't they're not infected by the leprosy. No matter how much they love you, they'll throw you aside, rich or no rich. And then in verse um, 13, the Bible says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, Oga. Boss, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Thank God for those servants. They went to him said, sir, if the man had told you to go and bring to go and capture 10,000 soldiers of a, from a foreign army, you would have done it because it requires your effort. And you want to show that you have that power. You have done it. He's not asking you to do any of those things. He just said, go and dip yourself in a what? In a river. Go and do it now. That is the gospel. Those people who are asking you for pepper, tomatoes, and, and goat, and other things, they want to cook soup. Those who are asking you for padlock and other things, they probably are building a house or a store somewhere and they need padlock. And some of them are so wicked that that padlock, they want to use it to actually lock you up finally. So you run after these things because you think it is by bringing it, by bringing this. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ made salvation to be free. Because he knew that if money were attached to it, the rich will gain an advantage over the poor. And so he decided that it will be free for all and sundry. All you need is believe this message that you are hearing concerning the gospel. The gospel says as follows. Every man born of a woman is a sinner. It doesn't matter that you did not commit any sin of your own. You have the sin of your ancestors, Adam and Eve, upon you. So you are a sinner. And because of sin, you can have no relationship or fellowship with God. So sin has to be dealt with. The Lord Jesus Christ came to deal with that sin. And in dealing with that sin, he has created a situation whereby you now have access to God. On the basis of what he did on the cross, he paid the price for sin so that you have no need to pay that price anymore. If you believe it and you accept what I've just told you now, then with your mouth, you make that confession. I am a sinner and I need a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want Jesus Christ in my life to come and save me and deliver me from sin. With that confession, you have clinched your salvation. The evidence will follow suit. What is the evidence? You will hate sin. You will not need anybody to tell you. You would know that you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. I remember when I got saved, many of the cassettes that I had, that had all kinds of strange music, the first thing I did was to wipe them out clean and I recorded Christian music over those tapes. All the bottles of alcohol in my home were cleared out of my compound. All my friends who used to smoke, and come to visit me, I told them, you, you smoke your cigarette outside my compound. You cannot smoke in my house anymore. I was barely one, one, one week 
a Christian, I knew the right thing to do. You don't need somebody to teach you those things because the Spirit of God who tells you all things will be in you. You will have a distaste for sin, a hatred for sin. And one thing I've discovered is one of the evidence of this is that you cannot keep quiet. You want to tell people about what has happened to you because it is something that is very, very real in a man's life. Secondly, you will have a desire for God, a longing for God. They will not be begging you to go to church. These days, all these people that they are begging to go to church, oh, go, they, they, they don't know anything. If, if indeed they have been saved, they won't beg you to go. And you are not going to church because you want to go and increase your net worth. You are not going to church because you need a healing. You are going there because you want to meet with God. That is why if, this, if salvation truly has taken place in your life, when you go to a meeting two, three, four times, and you discover that they have not told you anything about God, you will leave that place. You will be searching for where you can hear about God. I'm telling you the truth. There are people who go to Bible school because they thought that they would hear about God, only to hear that they're teaching methodology and other things. They get disappointed. After Bible school, they leave the place and say, where is God? That is the kind of desire. That's the kind of hunger that you'll encounter. Remember what the, what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He says, they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. I tell you the truth. When that desire for God comes mightily upon you, the Lord Jesus Christ will fill you with his own spirit. So I want to plead with you. If you have been under the erroneous notion that money is what you need for your salvation, perish it today. Throw that thing out. You don't need money for it. What you need is your faith to believe the message of the gospel, the simple, pure gospel that Jesus Christ came to die for sinner and you are one of those sinners. And that as long as you confess your, your sinfulness before God and your willingness to accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary as payment for your sin and make that confession of Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you are saved. The evidence will follow. And once that happens, my brother, my sister, you are a part of the family of God. Henceforth, you need someone to teach you what you need to do concerning, the, concerning this kingdom that you have come into, concerning the Lord that you have now embraced as your Savior and as your Lord. And until we meet again, that I think that should be in October, by the grace of God, we will continue from where we have stopped now. And hopefully you would have received from the Lord and you will move forward recognizing that the truth of the gospel is that it is about sin and dealing with sin. It has nothing to do with you making a payment because the Lord Jesus Christ has paid it all. God bless you and good day to you.